Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange to Brown Talk podcast. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot. We are going to do some Hey Mary Kays, then Ashley Bastock is going to join us a little later. We're going to do our succession recap of episodes one and two. So Ashley has apparently prepared uh, some power rankings for us, and so we're going to see uh, how she power ranks all the characters, and we're going to react to that. But let's just start with, uh, well, we had some questions pertaining to this. So let's just start with the news of the day for the Browns. It's not always good news when it happens early in April. And in this case, it certainly was not Michael Woods, the second, uh, second year receiver, Mary Kay, who seemed like he was going to get some opportunities uh, behind kind of that, that top group of receivers working out with Deshaun Watson uh, ruptures. His Achilles um, is going to undergo surgery done for the 2023 season. So I, I guess just your reaction when, when this news first happened. Well, I was so disappointed, Dan, because you know that uh, in training camp last year, I got a chance to sit down one-on-one with Michael Woods. I really got to know him actually pretty well during that interview, and I've been pulling for him ever since. That was the story that I wrote about how uh, Michael Woods, you know, when he was a young boy, uh, he was found at the bottom of the family pool. He had to be pulled out, rescued, uh, spent a lot of time. Uh, you know, in in the hospital after that. And uh, it's the story about how, you know, his family kind of coped with that and how he had this basically near-death experience. He remembers seeing himself from above and out-of-body experience and um, just how that kind of shaped him as a person and also as a player. And so I've always kind of been pulling a little bit for Michael Woods, and I'm very disappointed that this happened for him. I was excited to see what he was going to bring to the table this year. We know that he was down there working out with Deshaun Watson. They were working on their timing. He's from Magnolia, Texas. So he grew up watching, not grew up because they're not that far apart in age, but uh, he has always looked up to Deshaun Watson, even when he was in college and uh, when Deshaun was. And so uh, this is very, very disappointing uh, you hate to see this happen to, you know, to any player because an Achilles is a really tough thing to come back from. Yeah. You, you know, we've seen, um, obviously Grant Delpit has come back from it. Um, it's, it's never good when it happens, but at least he's younger. Um, you know, Jakeem Grant's another guy that's trying to come back from one and, and he's 30 years old. It's going to be a lot harder for him. So um, like I said, not an injury you ever want to see happen to anyone because it is such a, a traumatic and devastating injury. I mean, like we said, he's going to be done for the year. Um, but at, at least if there's a bright side, it's that he's still young and you would hope the recovery will be a little bit easier for him. 
Yeah, he's got his whole career ahead of him. And, you know, technology and medicine has advanced uh, a long way since, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, when it was really, really incredibly hard to come back from one of these injuries. So, uh, so he has a great chance of coming back. And just knowing uh, what I know about Michael so far is that he is somebody that is going to put his heart and soul into coming back. I'm sure he's going to uh, come back better and stronger next year and try to get this career back on track. Before we get to the questions uh, about how this kind of the ripple effect here, what what do you think his role could have been this year on this team? Obviously, we know Amari Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Elijah Moore. Um, they went out and signed Marquise Goodwin. But there, I mean, certainly, you know, in my mind, he was going to have an opportunity to compete after those top three guys for some real playing time. Yeah, I think so. I mean, you need good depth. You never know what's going to happen from an injury standpoint. You always need good depth at wide receiver. And they're, I think they're going to play three wides a fair amount this year and four wides at times. And so I think they're going to roll guys in, keep guys fresh. And if you can demonstrate that you have some good chemistry with Deshaun Watson, which is what he was working on trying to develop down there in Houston, where Deshaun is having guys in and out, uh, you know, trying to get their mojo down for the season, uh, then you're going to get some playing time. And that's what it was going to take. You have to show in training camp that you have the hot hand and that you can sort of stay alive for Deshaun Watson on those scramble drills and show the instincts of someone that can just kind of be ready at all times for whatever Deshaun Watson has to offer. And I think Michael was getting it. We saw last year there was that one uh, game in which Deshaun had to kind of, you know, give him the business a little bit because he wa- he didn't stay ready for what could have been a touchdown pass and uh, or touchdown catch. And so, um, you know, I think Michael was ready to really step it up. Now, when I look back to last year, he was the hottest young player in training camp. You remember that? I remember that. He was the hottest young player. And, um, and he suffered a pretty serious hamstring injury in training camp. And he it just completely set him back for the whole entire year. And that was really unfortunate because they were so excited about him. Uh, he just showed sort of a, a maturity, uh, even though he was a sixth round rookie out of Oklahoma, he had, he had just a football maturity about him and he was ready to make a little noise. Okay. So let's get to some questions. Uh, a few receiver questions off of this. So this uh, comes from the six one four area. Actually, here's a name uh, Mavro from Columbus. Hey, Mary Kay, going in, it felt like Anthony Schwartz's time was numbered or his days were numbered. Does Michael Woods' injury give Anthony Schwartz a little more life? You know, it may or may not, because with Anthony Schwartz, uh, his calling card is his speed. It's a different kind of a game than what you're going to get out of Michael Woods. Uh, You know, Michael had a lot going for him, but he, you know, he was size. He was more along the lines of a, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Amari Cooper, good hands, good route runner, good size, that kind of thing. Speed is Anthony Schwartz's game. And now uh, they've gone out and gotten two other speed guys. It doesn't mean that you don't have room for three. It just means it's going to be tougher for him. So, uh, you know, I think they basically were looking at his situation and saying, we have to get speed on the field and we're not sure he's going to be able to provide it. We're not sure he's going to be tough enough and up to speed enough to, to do what we need him to do this year. So they went out, they got Elijah Moore who can do a little bit of everything. He can play inside. He can play outside. He's agile, shifty, fast. 
you know, more in the, along the lines of a, you know, like a poor man's Tyreek Hill type of a player. And then, um, and then they got Marquise Goodwin and he is, you know, your stretch vertical stretch guy, your, you know, your go route guy. Um, so Anthony Schwartz is going to have to step it up and prove that he does deserve playing time, but he's for sure on the clock. And uh, it, I mean, it always feels kind of cold talking about it like this because we are talking about a player who, who got injured and, and is going to miss a season, but that's the NFL. Um, it, this does open up a roster spot for someone. So mm-hmm. this, uh, you know, if Anthony Schwartz was kind of on the outs, yes, he's a different type of receiver, but this does at least open up a roster spot if he shows up and can, even if he shows Bubba Ventrone, and hey, I'm I'm a valuable special teamer, and you want to give me an opportunity there, um, it just it does create at least one extra spot and and one less player that they're going to have to to let go, um, come the cut down to fifty three. Yeah, I mean, as it was, I had already been looking at that wide receiver room and sort of wondering how it was all going to shake out because, uh, you know, as we know, they added three pass catchers, three really good pass catchers this year in Elijah Moore, who will be number two, number three, depending on how things go between uh, him and Donovan Peoples-Jones, and then Marquise Goodwin. And then the third pass catcher is actually a tight end uh, who plays as a big-bodied wide receiver in Jordan Aikens. So, uh, you know, the you know the room was getting a little crowded, or the core, the pass catching core, was getting a little crowded as it was. And not everybody's going to make the final 53 roster. So what they will probably do is some of these guys are going to end up on the practice squad. And that could be a place where, you know, maybe they're not ready to give up on Anthony Schwartz yet, but maybe he lands over on the practice squad for a while and then he gets called up when he shows that he can do it. So um, we'll have to see how it all shakes out. But, you know, they do have some depth and some competition there. And I still don't think they're done yet. I still think they'll look in late stage free agency, possible trades, and uh, and the draft for more weapons. Yeah, I think that's the important. The draft hasn't even happened yet. <laughs> We're still a few weeks away from that. So uh, this roster is certainly far from complete. Now, Bill in Indianapolis is kind of thinking along the lines of depth at receiver. Uh, he asks, hey, Mary Kay, is it possible that the Browns have overcorrected the wide receiver room and now don't have the playing time to develop someone like David Bell? He says he would have put... Uh, he would have put Michael Woods in there with him too, if not for today's unfortunate news. But do the Browns have too many receivers? Is that even possible? Well, they might have too many receivers for this year um, in, in terms of being able to use all of them and get getting them all of the targets and the reps that they need. But the thing to remember is when you look down the road a little bit, you know, Amari Cooper is, you know, he's starting to get up there in age a little bit and the price is still sky high. I mean, his cap number, his cap charge this year is almost $24 million. And then you look at Donovan Peoples-Jones and he will be an unrestricted free agent at the end of this season. And, you know, if the Browns don't want to pay him what he's worth, then, you know, he's going to go out on the open market and, and he's going to get the money that he feels that he deserves. So you might need that pipeline to start, you know, filling in these spots so basically that, you know, that's what this is all about. I mean, you might not be able to keep everybody on the 53 this year, but you're developing these guys uh, for down the road and making sure once again, that you're good to go in 2024, 2025. And we've discussed this position too. You know, we saw it with defensive tackle last year where they were just over-reliant on guys already in the building. They just, they couldn't go into this year 
just counting on David Bell or, or Michael Woods or Anthony Schwartz or, or some of these guys to just suddenly make that jump because you just don't know. And the last thing you wanted to have happen is get to the middle of October and realize, uh oh, we're two receivers short here, and it's it's too late. Or now we've got to trade another another draft pick to get somebody, and it's not going to be Elijah Moore. You know, like they needed to to kind of strike while the iron was hot with Moore bringing in Goodwin. They'll probably draft a guy um, that they've got to keep throwing bodies at this position because it's, it's go time. It's time to go start winning. Yeah. And I also thought that they left themselves a little short in the veteran receiver department last year. I thought they were one or two guys short. You know, you really don't want to be relying on rookies and young guys and wannabes and hopefuls when you've got Deshaun Watson out there. You have to be ready to hit the ground running. It's such a competitive division. You can't get off to a slow start. Uh, you, you know, you've got to get, you know, you got to be hot right, right out of the gate, basically. And, you know, you look at a team like Kansas City, you look at a team like the Cincinnati Bengals, and they certainly don't worry about overstocking the receiver room. Uh, they just, they load up and, you know, may the best man win. But the thing, you know, the thing with the Browns, you know, they're not going to look at the roster and say, oh, well, we have David Bell and he is, you know, he he's playing the slot for us. So we're not going to go pursue an Elijah Moore. No, they they are not going to they're not going to operate like that. They needed to get the speed on the roster. And however it works out for whoever is already here, that's just the business of football. Uh, they're trying to get the best players that they can on this team. And if it's a little overcrowded in the room, so be it. And, and Andrew Barry has said, like, he kind of views every year as an expansion year. You know, you're, you're starting from zero uh, when, when you build that roster. So this question comes from the 408 area code. Uh, hey, Mary Kay, there are several speedy wide receivers in the draft that will be there at 74 or 98. Will the Browns now target that position or defensive tackle that may also have uh, a number of players who could be there? Well, again, the thing that we've learned about Andrew Barry is that he can be unpredictable when it comes to uh, when it comes to the draft, and that's because they don't draft for need. Just because they might need something, even when the draft when draft day approaches at seventy four, that doesn't mean that's what they're going to do. They're going to find their highest graded player at that spot, you know, at that moment. And that's the guy that they're going to take. If it happens to be a speedy receiver, they'll take the speedy receiver. If it's a defensive tackle, they'll take that spot. If it's a a defensive end, which I still think they need another good defensive end, another good pass rusher or two, you can't have too many in Jim Schwartz's offense defense. So, um, so no, I don't think that you can look at this and say they will, or they won't. I think they're going to go for best available. I do feel like edge rusher has sort of become forgotten. You know, they brought in Oboe, which again is a signing I like, but also, you know, still only half a season on that resume. It was a really great half season. So you're hoping to build on that, but I am with you. I'd still like to see them go out and find another edge rusher, whether it's in the draft, which gets a little bit harder to find a starter in the draft right now, or if there's somebody in free agency, I know there's some veteran guys that you've thrown out there that that you would still bring in here. If if you could, I, I still think, they're like a pass rusher. They're, they need at least one more pass rusher. They do. They really do. I mean, because once again, you just don't know if Alex Wright is going to take that step up into that number three edge rusher role to the point where he is producing pressures and sacks, because that's what you really need 
from from that guy. Now you can see that they've got you know the inside clogged up pretty well with Dalvin Tomlinson and maybe even Al, Al Woods if they sign him, um, who's visiting this week. Seahawks, another big body guy in the middle there. Um, but they need those guys on the edges to get to the quarterback. And as you mentioned, with with Oboe, I mean, the prospects look really good. They're really excited about him. They think they can build on the five sacks that he had at the end of last year. But you need more. I mean, you need another guy with proven production. I still would be going out and probably signing and Yannick Nagakaway. I don't see it in the cards right now. I don't think it's going to happen. It's something I would probably do. I don't get the sense that they plan to do it. But if it's not him then it should be somebody else or you better have a pretty good idea that somebody that you can get at 74 or 98 can come in and get some sacks. And that's not easy to do for, for a rookie unless you're like a first round guy. Okay. Let's do this question here from Rick in Orlando. Hey, Mary Kay, the Browns have added a lot of new players this off season and we're not even to the draft yet. They can't keep everyone. So who are the players from last year that you think are most in danger of losing their spot on the roster? You know, I just don't think that there are many guys that are going to lose their spot on the roster. I mean, they have lost a number of guys uh, that, you know, that are not going to be coming back. So you don't have a Jadavian Clowney coming back. So you need to find a, find a way to replace him. Uh, you don't have Taven Bryan coming back. You don't have John Johnson three coming back. Um, you know, so th- these are a number of guys that are already gone and you needed to fill those spots. And, uh, you know, some of the guys, if they end up having a surplus somewhere along the line. Once again, you can put guys over there on the practice squad if you need to. Um, I don't think we're going to have any like really big surprises. You know, when I look at all the different positions, you know, there might be one or two guys that, you know, that do end up on a practice squad or something, but then you also have to take into account it's a long summer this summer. Okay. It's a long summer. Uh, They're going to have, they start a week earlier than everybody else and they're going to have, you know, they're going to break it up a little bit, including practices against the Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia this year. And then they've got four preseason games and there's always attrition. There is always attrition. So by the time you get to the start of the regular season, you might be down three or four guys, you know, I mean, you just never know what could happen. So I just don't think right now that I'm looking at it and thinking, that there's going to be a lot of guys uh, that are sort of name players that won't be around come September. They don't really do a lot of surprising things. You know, this isn't like mm-hmm. a group that when you sit in training camp, it's like, oh, let's, you know, we're going to watch this battle here and this guy might get cut and that guy might might beat him. It, there's not a lot of that, honestly. The, the roster is usually pretty stable and they usually approach training camp like, they're kind of getting ready for the season. It's not like just competition constantly. Um, I I mean, I'm trying to think in this sort of run here, going into year four, if there's been, I, I mean, I can't think of like a shocking cut necessarily. I, I mean, last year there was some debate about Anthony Schwartz, but, um, that, you know, I mean, you you picked up on the scent pretty early that he wasn't going to get cut. Like he was going to make the 53. So, even, I mean, even that wasn't, <laughs> there really wasn't even that much drama there, honestly. So, I, I don't know. This this isn't a group that surprises you very often when it comes to that 53-man roster. Yeah, no, they really don't. And I think, you know, when you look at this year, I'm looking at a group like the defensive tackle group. Again, if they go ahead and sign an Al Woods, who's 36 years old, but still 
when you bring a guy in like that, you usually bring him in with the idea of signing him. So if they do that, um, you know, they do have a number of bodies there. And there is going to be a little bit of overcrowding because the way that I understand it, two of the free agent defensive tackles that they signed in Tristan Hill and Maurice Hurst, you know, these guys are not just camp bodies. These are guys that have a legitimate chance to come in and compete to be part of the rotation. And when I was doing the Al Woods story yesterday, I went again and I looked up um, the PFF grades for uh, Tommy Togiai and Jordan Elliott and Perion Winfrey. And the grades are low. I mean, they're in the, like the one twenties in, in that neighborhood. And so those guys are really going to need to step it up. They're going to have to show in the off season program that they're really buying into what Jim Schwartz is selling and that he, that they are molding themselves to the kind of defensive tackle that he needs and wants, because that's important too. I mean, before when they were drafting some of those guys, they, they had Joe Woods in their ear telling them, here's what I need in a defensive tackle. Well, now you've got Jim Schwartz telling them his prototypical guy at every single position. And so I think you're seeing a different kind of defensive tackle come in here. And, uh, you know, those guys might have a little bit of the edge. So the other guys are going to have to really step it up and show that they belong on this team. And if they don't make the 53-man roster, they might have to work themselves back into the fold from the practice squad. That is the one wild card is, um, like like if Tommy Togi I got cut, if he didn't make it, that wouldn't be a shock. But, um, you know, the wild card is what you were just saying. Like if Jim Schwartz decides that Jordan Elliott's just not his type of guy, he would be a surprise cut. But it's kind of up to Jim Schwartz in that case. That's I think that's where the surprises would come from. If Jim Schwartz decides that somebody who's been here or somebody they drafted just isn't right for his defense, that becomes sort of a surprise cut. But, um, you know, it's not going to be like a, I, I mean, I can't even think of a name, like a Grant Delpit or somebody like that. You know, I mean, those those guys aren't going anywhere. The, the big names, there's, I don't, there's not going to be a big name that gets cut. No, I don't think so. But again, so that is one area where it seems like there's a little bit of a surplus and, you know, that they're going to have a little wiggle room to be able to, um, you know, stash some guys over there. Again, some guys are going to get hurt, not make it all the way to the regular season before going on IR. Um, But, you know, not every single one of those defensive tackles you know, are going to be able to make the team. Not every single one of those wide receivers are going to be able to make the 53 man roster. So, um, you know, they will have some decisions to make, but like you said, nothing very surprising. I mean, we could go through and name the whole starting lineup right now. And, you know, most of the contributing guys that will be part of the rotation as well. Yeah. And tight end, maybe another to keep an eye on just with Harrison, like a guy like Harrison Bryant, maybe, um, somebody like that, but, um, uh, yeah, I wouldn't anticipate too too many surprises. Okay, uh, that's going to do it for the Hey Mary Kate portion of the pod. We're going to take a break, and then we're going to bring Ashley Bastock in, and we're going to go into entertainment mode. We're going to talk a little succession on the other side. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We now shift gears to our succession review. We're going to do episodes one and two together here. We didn't uh, have a chance to circle back on episode one. I was off last week. Mary Kay was at the owner's meetings. Didn't get a chance to watch it as it happened. So we're going to catch up here on episodes one and two of succession in season four. Spoiler alerts abound. So if you haven't watched, if you care about spoilers, don't listen. 
come back and listen later. You already got the Hey Mary Kay part. You got the football part. So don't listen to this part if you're scared of spoilers. So here's what we did. Ashley, who is our succession expert, gave us power rankings. And so we're yes. going to go through those and we're going to we're going to debate them and we're going to tell her how wrong she is. So Ashley, <laughs> in that vein, get us started here. Yeah, so we were talking before we actually pressed record and I'm finding out there was some surprise, some surprise over my number 1 pick who to me this was a no-brainer. I'm going with Lucas Matson at number 1 because Logan Roy has finally decided he wants to sell Waystar Royco. But I really believe Lucas Madsen when he says, if he pushes me on the price again, I'm going to walk away. Like he just see, he seems like kind of crazy, but I really believe he will walk away if they do this and he has the least to lose and Logan wants to sell. So for me, that puts him at the top because I believe either he's not going to lose anything or he's going to buy Waystar Royco and add to his empire. Okay, but also... He kind of like just drunkenly FaceTimed Kendall and threatened yeah. him. I feel like maybe he was just trying to strong arm him. Like he's not really going to walk away. But Mary Kay, he does have, we did get to see his house in season three. And that is a guy with nothing to lose. <laughs> Absolutely. 100%. And this is an interesting choice here because he sort of always seems like he's a little bit in the background. He's just kind of hovering yeah. around and he's not, uh, you know, just on the front burner and in your face like everybody else is, right? And he's just the cool customer and, you know, he's just, he's he's Joe Cool. Um, so I would not have thought about him for number one, but I can see where you're going with this because he holds all the cards right now. He yeah. really does. I mean, he he kind of holds all the cards. So I can't argue too vehemently with it. I know this is also just season four, but I mean... I earned a lot of respect for him when he was sitting at Kendall's birthday party in season three and just bored out of his mind. Had no desire oh, yeah. to be there, just completely bored. I I was just surprised to see a, a person who has really only been seen on FaceTime so far, uh, mm-hmm. number one. But I guess I do see kind of, if this is power rankings, it's who holds the yeah. power, right? I guess I guess our buddy uh, Logan Madsen, Alexander Skarsgård, is yes. uh, is maybe the most powerful person in the show right now? But we'll they keep see. calling him the Swede. They keep calling him the Swede or other. They they just keep picking European countries and calling him that. I feel like he could also yeah. end up being the weakest person. Like what if he, what could, if he doesn't yeah. walk away? So I don't I don't know. Yeah. All right, who do we have here at number two? Number two, probably not as surprising. Probably the person most people thought would be number one. I'm going with Logan Roy here. Like sometimes I said, I genuinely like don't know how to feel about Logan at certain points. Like sometimes I'm like, is he actually losing it? Like, does he think that his girlfriend Carrie could be a like capable news anchor on this big time cable channel um, when he's walking the streets of New York at the end of the episode, kind of ranting about rats. I didn't really know what was going on. He's like giving himself busy work on the ATN newsroom floor. Um, but he just seems to me like a guy who isn't willing to walk away. And like, this is to me where it's so clear the show is going for this parallel with the Murdoch family, because of course the Murdochs sold like the movie studio portions and all that of Fox to Disney a few years back but still very involved in the Fox news and like the news portion of their business. So it seems to me that's where they're going with this. It's clear that ATN is not going to be part of this deal. 
I think Logan's going to become even more involved with ATN after this deal, alleged deal, is going to be done if if Lucas Madsen has his way. Um, and it was like almost like when he goes, even when he goes to apologize to the kids at the end, for me, it, I wrote, it was like the most impersonal, personal plea that he could have made to these children in a really nice karaoke bar. And when he meets with Roman at the end of the episode, he makes this comment about the night of long knives is coming, is the quote. (laughs) Very Game of Thrones-esque. And that line when he calls the kids dopes and unserious people. It's just kind of hard to argue with him there. Mary Kay, have you ever called your kids unserious people? (laughs) I've called them a lot of things, Dan. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've called them a lot of things, but I have not called them unserious people. No, that, that, it, that never made the list. And I can't share the list because, you know, <laughs> for obvious reasons, but no, not unserious. He's not wrong though. Like they really are like a special kind of disaster, especially, especially this season. I, he's, he's not wrong. Um, but I do think, if you're going to be number two in the power rankings, you've got to do better than standing on boxes of paper to deliver this stirring <laughs> Braveheart style speech. Yeah. Looking over he's people's shoulders. People words. <laughs> and also his kids didn't even come to his birthday party. Yeah, that is tough. That is tough. But I think I, for these rankings, I was more so going off of episode two than anything. And I, but I do have something to say about the birthday party and it did not ding him, but it does ding another character, one of the children specifically. Um, but I, I don't know. I think the birthday party thing doesn't bother me because he's after the apology. I'm like, I think he's kind of back on top with his kids in a weird way. So he is, um, he's all over the road so far in this, in this season. And he is, um, he's just showing too many chinks in the armor for, you know, for my liking. I mean, it's like that, the rant, uh, you know, while standing on the boxes was just so weird. And, you know, Greg's, you know, characterization of him as, uh, you know, as Jaws and people working for, (laughs) for Jaws. I mean, that was hilarious, but. I don't know. He just seems like he's off, like he's not on top of his game. Uh, You know, the the whole girlfriend thing, it just, you know, that is showing like a little sign of weakness there. Um, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. He's, he's been a little bit weird this, this season so far. Yeah, I I agree. Something's not, maybe he just doesn't want to sell. I don't know. All right. Number three. Number three, we get our first Roy child, and I'm going with Roman Roy here. And I think it's been kind of surprising for me to see him this season because of everything we know about Roman's character. He normally is the wild card, the kind of impulsive one. And right now, I really think he's the only Roy child who isn't acting on emotions or impulse or isn't just like along for the ride. Shiv, I think, is very much driven by revenge right now towards Logan, towards Tom, Kendall, I think, just feels like he's not in control of things in the way we've seen him in the past. But Roman has maintained a relationship with Logan. He's kind of secretly playing both sides a little bit. And he's the one who gets the meeting with him at the end. It seems like he's, I think, going to be suckered back in to Logan's side of things, wind up running ATN because my girl Sid Peach is officially on the outs with Logan um, and I think playing both sides here might actually work out with him. He's really one of the only characters doing that right now. So I, I feel bad for Rome. So Roman is like 
kind of the most trustworthy right now of all of them. And I was thinking about this. So there's that scene where they want to look at his phone. Well, first of all, when they go to the dive bar, which I don't think is really a dive bar, but it's kind of divey for them. Um, but when they want to look at his phone and he shows it to him and all he did was like text happy birthday to Logan. And like, if you would have reversed that, if they would have looked at Shiv's phone, they would have seen that she was the one kind of pulling all the strings with trying to get this Stewie, um, you know, trying to get more money out of this deal. And they would have seen that Kendall FaceTimed with Logan Matson. Like, Roman is kind of the most trustworthy of the bunch, so I don't blame him if he ends up going back to Logan because, like, he can't trust these two. And, and yet they're the ones that, you know, he's the only one who could have shown them his phone, which he actually did, and they wouldn't have seen anything incriminating on it or anything like kind of that, hey, this guy's stabbing us in the back. And yet they still tried to find something in that just because he texted Logan happy birthday. The thing that's standing out to me about Roman so far in this season is how subdued he is, right? I mean, he's just not all over the road and he's not up and down and crazy emotional. And uh, he's just kind of like low key. And I'm just waiting for him to, to be Roman, you know, I mean, like he just hasn't gone off on anything yet. And you know, that that's just so unusual for him. So yeah, this is going to be interesting to see how this plays out because he's always wanted daddy's approval. And, you know, he has just never, ever, uh, felt like he was worthy. And and uh, obviously, Logan is understanding how to push those buttons. He knows how to push all of his kids' buttons. Um, but with Roman, you just have to make him feel like you really do want him. Of course, he's just using him. He's another pawn in his game right now. But he's doing a phenomenal job of of making Roman believe that he actually does need and want him. So let's see if Roman really buys it. I will say though, Roman did remind us he still got that in him when he threatened the the person with the helicopter, <laughs> yeah. the helipad. What did he say? I'm gonna <laughs> spend it I'm gonna devote several hundred thousand dollars <laughs> to ruining your life. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. which like still got, that still girl, got a little bit of that in him. That yeah. woman might have been vying for the number one spot in these power rankings, quite honestly. <laughs> she held them off the helicopter. Right. By the way, I think I've been saying Logan Matson. It's Lucas Matson. I just, oh, yes. yeah. I just, yeah. yes, Lucas apparently Madsen. I just like the name Logan too much. All right. <laughs> num- number four on our list. Um, I went back and forth with where to put this character. And ultimately after a second, like watch of the first half of the episode, I, I ended up going with Tom here because at first I'm like, I don't know, like Tom feels like he's, it's going to be on the outs once him and Shiv get divorced. But Tom pulled a total Tony Soprano move <laughs> and met with all of the best divorce lawyers in New York City so that there would be a conflict of interest. He played the Roy game in a divorce better than an actual Roy. And I think maybe that's going to help lead them towards a reconciliation uh, because I don't know that this divorce is going to able to be handled on Shiv's side the way she wants. Um, but then looking at the ATN side of things for him, I thought he actually, the more I thought about it, handled the Carrie news anchor thing well, because I think for how much comedic relief Tom is, the one thing he's good at that none of the Roy kids are good at, I think, is reading people and reading social 
facial cues. And he doesn't give Logan a yes or no answer. He's actually trying to feel Logan out. Like, does Logan actually think Carrie could be a good news anchor? Or is he doing this to see who is like a yes man who is going to be honest with him around him? And I think the way Brian Cox plays that is really well, because I don't really know what Logan's asking for. But I think how Tom handles it is perfect for the situation he's in. And ultimately, he shoves that responsibility down to Greg. Our first disgusting brother on the uh, first on disgusting power brother. Tom makes it up. I the the line in the karaoke room where so, somebody who's never watched this show who some for some reason is still listening is like what karaoke room? The line in the karaoke room where where Logan basically says to Shiv that he gave him the advice, the divorce attorney advice, because Tom was the one that was there. And if Shiv would have been there, maybe she would have gotten that advice. I thought that was a, an interesting line. But uh, yeah, Tom is. Tom has definitely taken his side and I'm very interested to see how that plays out for him, especially if they do end up ultimately getting divorced. And if for some reason Shiv ends up coming back into the fold somehow. So I actually think you're giving Tom a little too much credit here for some things. Ashley, number one, as Dan pointed out, the divorce tactic of snatching up all those top divorce lawyers, you know, that came from Logan. That was all Logan. That's what he Mm -hmm. did uh, himself in, you know, in his own uh, divorce. And, um, you know, so Tom would never have been shrewd enough to think of something like that. I don't think. And then uh, I thought he was, I just didn't think he had the guts to, um, to do what he was supposed to do. And that was to tell Carrie that she's not good enough. And, it was a classic Tom move to pass that off to Greg, right? I mean, it was just so Tom. Um, but, I mean, I did feel sorry for him. I did feel sorry for him in episode one when Shiv, you know, went back to their place and he mm-hmm. was there. And he, and once again, as we've talked about before, the they have a very role reversal thing going on in their relationship where – she plays the traditional male roles and he's playing more of the traditional female role. And I did find myself sympathizing with him. And I thought that was a sad scene where they just kind of both crashed and, uh, and it, you know, it was just kind of sad when they were like, you know, I guess this is it, but we're just like too tired to get up and one of us leave right now. Um, so I felt sorry for him there, but in almost every other scene in these two episodes, He's annoying the hell out of me. I mean, he's been he's been funny. There have been times where he's been where he has been funny so because because his God, I keep wanting to use a, a, a saying that I cannot say on a podcast, but his <laughs> um, <laughs> his um, demeanor has been just like so so annoying to me about you know some of the little goofball stuff that he's doing. I, so I, I don't do, know. I. I the way they handled the carry thing was it just felt like nobody, none of these people are actually qualified to do the jobs they have. It feels like, Mm -hmm. you know, outside of Logan. Um, But the kids don't know what they're doing. That's becoming clear. Um, And, you know, Tom kind of passes off that responsibility to Greg and then Greg just completely like Greg can't just say what he needs to say. He like makes up a focus group and well, we'll get into <laughs> Greg later, but like, I, just not, you know, if it were Logan, he would just go and confront her. Obviously if 
it wasn't this person. It was his girlfriend. If it was Logan, he'd just go and say, no, you can't do this. You're not cut out for it. You're out. But no one, none of the kids can like focus on anything. Tom can't do it. Greg can't do it. None of these people are qualified for, for what they're trying to do here. No. All right. Let's. Well, let's... speaking of not qualified for what they're trying to do, <laughs> let's hit the middle of the pack here with the Roy children because I'm going with Connor Roy here. He's going to be my second Roy. I guess my my third, if you include Tom, as an honorary Roy since he did want to change his name when him and Shiv got married to Roy from Momscans. But Connor, I think. He spent the whole episode with, you know, the, his wedding to Willa is going to be the next day. He spends most of it spiraling. He thinks Willa is leaving him. But at the end of the day, he kind of really lost nothing because he goes home and Willa's right there. He's getting everything he wants with this big extravagant wedding that's supposed to be next week. That's going to keep him in theory in the news cycle with him pulling at 1% for president, which like looking at the show, I'm thinking like we have our Republican nominee um, in Macon, who that was the big storyline last season with the Roy's. And then we have this Democratic nominee who we haven't met yet, who Shiv might be going to work for. So Connor is running as an independent and wonders why he's polling at 1%. That's just how presidential elections tend to go. Um, But I think it's going to keep him in the conversation. And I think he got some great scenes there. I mean, the line about them all needing to be their love sponges and they need to soak up love from dad to get by. But he's the plant that grew out of nothing, that grew out of rocks and lives off the bugs that die inside of him was the quote. So I thought that was a great read on his siblings, quite honestly. I was a little taken aback that the wedding is tomorrow. Yeah, all of a sudden, like, I thought it was going to be farther away. The pacing is really weird this season. Yeah. Like, they were, with, and that's the prime example. Because they were talking about, like, the Statue of Liberty and bum fights at the wedding yeah. in episode one. And then all of a sudden in episode two, the kids are back in New York and they're going to the 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 um, rehearsal dinner. I was a little surprised by that. But Connor, I think, sort of being, like, the neutral state in all of this has... I kind of don't mind that he's ahead of of everyone except Roman when it comes to the kids. I, I think he's sort of earned that at this point. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I feel like I'd have him a little bit lower on this list just because he's Connor. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's he he is the quintessential, you know, goof. So I, I don't know that I would have him. Uh, you know, this high up in the in the power rankings because he's, you know, he's a little sappy and forlorn right now, not knowing what what Willa is about to do. And he's, you know, I don't know, he's kind of falling apart a little bit. So, um, yeah, I think I'd probably would have had him a little bit lower here. He just he just wants to be with the people, Mary Kay. He just wants to be <laughs> with normal Americans with dirt on their hands and blood in their hair and yes <laughs> order normal. order out of place beers at, at dive bars and also yeah. tracking tracking willa on on the phone tracking her dot thinking she's in the <laughs> east river uh, this is this again is something you know mary Kay, i'm sure you've done this with your kids i do it with my son a lot when he's out and about like he they didn't have school yesterday because we've had some power issues around here with the storms. So uh, they, you know, he went somewhere with his friends and all day I'm tracking the little dot to see where he is and, and kind of keep tabs on him. It's, I, I kind of related to that part. Well, have your kids not figured out how to not 
allow you to track them because well, that's, my that's kids not, don't let me. Yeah. That's See, that's not, not allowed yet. <laughs> that's, not that's not allowed, allowed yet, yet in the lobby well, household. When they're 26, 24, and 22, you will not know their location. I don't want. So I don't want to know their location when they're twenty four, twenty six, <laughs> and, and twenty two. Well, I mean, you you will want to, but you won't. Because and and you will want to because you're going to want to know that they're safe and that they're Fair. alive, right? So you're going to want to know, but you're not going to get to know even what, when they're out of the country. What What if next week's episode isn't the wedding? What if it's just like going back and retracing all of Willa's steps? <laughs> Oh my gosh, it'd be like that weird Ted Lasso episode from season two. Remember that? Did you watch yes. Ted Lasso? I do. I actually know. I haven't finished yeah. season two, but I. I okay, which one? There's which a one weird. That sounds Coach familiar. Beard. Like they lose, and then he said, Ted Lasso says bye to Coach Beard, and you don't know where Coach Beard went. And then, like, the following episode is just, like, everything Coach Beard did after he said bye to Ted after this big loss they had. All right, number six. I don't think. Oh, go ahead. I don't think there's going to be. I don't think there's going to be a wedding in the next episode. Ooh, interesting. Well, I did see it in the preview, but there is a, at least the setup of a wedding, so okay. we know that we don't. Well, I mean, marriage, but there <laughs> okay. is a plan for a wedding. But okay. um, it is, it is six, very Connor. Sorry, it is very Connor though that they have like the board meeting scheduled and right. yeah. gonna, like not be. They're going right. to like go meet with. Madsen or whatever they're doing on the day of his wedding. It's, it's all very Connor. All right, number six. Number six, I put Cousin Greg here. Um, I think Greg was very much... These last two episodes, I haven't particularly enjoyed Greg's character. Like, I think they've written him kind of doofusy and, like, making these mistakes I would not expect Greg to make after three seasons of being around this family. Like, he, for the most part, kind of bungles, which we've already talked about, the task of telling Carrie she can't be on ATN. But I've been listening to the companion podcast that HBO does for the show, um, hosted by Kara Swisher. And I also watched the little like two or three minute clip after the episode where the actors and the showrunners talk about the episode. And the way they're talking about Cousin Greg caused me to rate him higher because in real time I'm watching it, I think they bungle it. But the people on the inside are saying things like, oh, isn't it interesting how we're now seeing Greg fire people and maybe that's going to be a new part of his character like it's almost like they're teasing that to me so after I watch that I'm like I have to put Greg higher because he's still on the in at ATN even though he's been kind of a doof these first two episodes so that's interesting uh, because I was going to say that like I, I almost feel like the scenario of Greg winning in the end is off the table but I don't maybe hearing that maybe it's not well I mean the the tape from the birthday party is one of the funniest, uh, you know, scenes I think that has taken place so far in, uh, you know, in any of the the seasons. I mean, that that was just hilarious. Him having to worry about that and approach uh, Logan about that, and this and the side jokes that are coming from Tom about all that has been very funny. I do. I feel like Greg is the one who's still the most willing to be honest with Logan. I mean, when Logan wants to get roasted. Greg's the only one that actually steps up and like tries to to roast him in episode one. So I feel yeah. like there still might be some sort of weird respect there from Logan for Greg. All right. Who do we have at number seven? Number seven is Kendall Roy. And I thought this was kind of an interesting place for him because I do think he's made some underrated moves the last episode, especially, um, you know, he's the one who gets the call from Matson. 
he's the one who texts Stewie after that call and kind of strategically, for whatever reason, says, I would vote with you on pushing back on Logan. And that's after Madsen says, if he pushes back on me, I'm going to walk. So Kendall's doing something here, but for me, he's not really in the driver's seat with anything at this point in this season. So that ranked him lower for me. I think the problem with Kendall is he has no attention span. Like he does something and then it's done and it's like, all right, we're moving on. So like even the whole Pierce thing, it's like, he's got all these great ideas for Pierce, but now he's going to move on. I'm, I'm assuming, I'm just assuming the hundred was his idea. And then he just got bored with it. And when the opportunity to do something different came along, I just, he's got like no attention span, like manic. There was a little bit of manic Kendall again in this episode. I just, it's, I, I, I can't figure him out. I'm waiting for him to go off the rails too. So the, you know, how they each have such, you know, quirkiness and they're so crazy and they have their own nuttiness about them. And he's been just pretty kind of normal so far for the most part, right? I mean, he hasn't completely gone off the rails and uh, I am just waiting for, for that to happen because it's just, he's being a little bit too laid back and too calm. So it has sort of been you know, Roman was really high on this list and it has sort of been like Kendall and Shiv haven't really done much just yet. They sort of have, Mm. but they haven't really, neither of those two have really done anything big yet. So I I feel there's something, there's something there waiting with those two. All right, Ashley, number eight. Well, speaking of Shiv, this is where Shiv Roy comes in and kind of like what you were saying, Dan, like I, I just feel like she hasn't done anything substantial yet and my biggest issue with Shiv right now even though I think she had the greatest line in the episode this last episode which was homework the show when Kendall's pitching this news idea he has for the Pierce family network um I think she's just driven by emotions largely because of what happened in the season three finale she wants to get Logan back she wants to get Tom back that's really where her focus is um, and even though she's trying to needle her brothers to get on the side of Sandy and Stewie, I don't think she actually has any real power in that situation. It feels like Kendall's going to kind of arrive there independently of her. Um, and yeah, I just, I really struggle with in the first episode, she basically did a $10 billion deal to get a, get a call from her dad. If that's not at the bottom of the power rankings, I don't know what is. Okay, can we just, can we talk about that $10 billion deal? Like, at that moment, I literally said to myself, these kids are, I said something different. These kids are idiots. Like, they paid $10 billion for a network that their dad wasn't going to pay more than $6 billion for. And of course, he makes that very clear to them at the end when he congratulates them for saying the the biggest number. I just, it's... Again, Mary Kay, the theme of this entire show for me, and and I went back and rewatched the first three seasons uh, before season four, and this just reinforced it, is they really are only where they are because they are the children of Logan Roy. They they have not done anything to to merit being where they are. Yeah, I mean, I keep thinking that Shiv does. I mean, I keep thinking that she's got the most on the ball and that she is the smartest And she is the sanest of them all. And that if I, you know, like today, if I had to put her in charge of anything, it would be, I mean, out of any of them, it would be her. Um, But in, in this, in these two episodes so far, 
she's showing some vulnerabilities that make me question, you know, whether or not she would be able to uh, handle everything that could possibly be on her plate. And she's kind of jealous of Tom that Tom has her daddy's ear right now. And she, you know, that like that scene that you were talking about where he, you know, he said, if you had been here, I would have given you that divorce advice, but you weren't here. So she's envious of, of Tom being on the inside. And I think in some ways they are all still driven by wanting daddy's approval. And it's just a matter of like, who's going to kind of crack first or most. And it looks like Roman's going to have the first opportunity to, um, you know, to crumble under the weight of that. But, um, but Shiv's vulnerability in this episode has been a little surprising. Okay. Number nine. I went with Carrie here. And I think like previously, if this was last season and we did power rankings, I don't know that I would have included Carrie. I probably would have included Marsha, but I'm, I'm wondering now if Marsha's ever going to come back. Like it's clear that Carrie is just Logan's girlfriend at this point and his assistant. Um, after that line about she's shopping in Milan forever <laughs> in the first episode, I don't have high hopes that we're going to see Marsha again. But I think Carrie like had kind of weaseled her way up from nothing to being the one person who really had Logan's ear. And this episode, I just feel like it all comes kind of crashing down for her. She's the laughing stock after that audition is somehow making the rounds to literally everybody um, inside ATN, outside ATN. It's a terrible, terrible audition, which props to that actress for acting bad news anchoring. Because that's not easy. Um, and by the end of the episode, it seems like Logan's kind of writing her off. Like she suggests, he's just like not even listening to her anymore. I really think she's on the outs and any hope she kind of had of continuing to climb the ranks in this company is just kind of done for me. I think I disagree with this one. I don't know. I know it was a little wonky there at the end in the karaoke room. I just like saying that phrase, in the karaoke room. <laughs> I, I know it was a little wonky there. <laughs> I st- I don't know if she's on the outs. I still think there's something there with her. I th- this expanded role in the first two episodes, um, even though mm. this one was more of like a, a laughing stock role. I still, Mary Kay, I feel like there's something still there with Carrie. Well, I do too. In that she basically threatened Greg that she'll destroy him. Like I think it was string cheese. <laughs> is, what, is what I think he said. Yeah. And so she showed something in that moment right like don't mess with me or you're dead and so i think there there you know there's something there and and that could foreshadow uh, a little bit more coming from her so and sometimes you think those things are going to be developed into something and then they turn into absolutely nothing um but there there could be a little bit more there based on on that line all right who's last here Bringing up the rear, we have Jerry, who I think has just is in a horrible place this season. And I'm surprised she, of all people, who is so good at playing both sides, has played things this horribly. Um, Because right now, I don't think she really has a true ally. Logan's comment to her when they're in the meeting room about it feels like she's already working for Matson feels like she's on the outs with him. 
Then he takes it another step further and he's like planning this whole big meeting without her. And she's supposed to kind of be his right hand man in those kind of the situations. And then to make matters worse for me, she destroyed any kind of relationship and loyalty she had with the kids in the season finale last year. So I just don't know where Jerry goes from this. Like, I wonder if she's going to end up like working for Matson at the end of the day, because I don't know that Logan Roy is going to have a home for her. Yeah, I feel like there's going to be some of these side characters that something just sort of happens. You know, like Marsha, we kind of get that one offline explaining where she is. And like, maybe Jerry does just go work for Matson, And that's kind of the end of it because like the focus, because this is it. They don't have time for a bunch of other stuff is like, we got to wrap up everything that happens with this family. Uh, but Jerry has been weirdly quiet in these first two episodes. And she was certainly not that in the first three seasons. Yeah, I mean, this is a good spot for her. Um, the thing about Jerry is, I mean, you have to wonder if, um, if Roman actually does come into a little bit more power, how that impacts Jerry. So that I think is something to watch. Okay. Last question I have here. Did we love this episode? I didn't. I thought it was kind of, eh, I I didn't. You know, I I think the consensus has been on the internet that (laughs) it was a pretty slow episode. And I kind of felt like that too. And I think I read a great tweet and I don't remember who said it, but it was that it was a slow episode that led to one of the best scenes in the series with Logan and Roman and Logan in the karaoke room. Like I do think those two scenes for me were some of the best of the series, but the episode itself was pretty slow. I do think, Oh, go ahead, Mary Kay. I was going to say, I find myself not on the edge of my seat as much this this season and not caring as much. And I hope that, you know, they didn't take it one season too far. That That is my concern. I hate to even say it because I love the show so much, but I, I need to care more. I dozed off a couple of times watching episode two. I fell asleep and that, the night that it aired. I mean, I fell asleep the night it was on. Yeah. And, and like that never would have happened to me before. So I hope that, um, you know, I hope they didn't just take it too far past, you know, which one of these kids is going to end up with the empire. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think this one kind of reinforced, like maybe, maybe four seasons is going to be the sweet spot mm-hmm. because like as, as great as the scene was when Logan confronted them in the karaoke room, there was a part of me that was like, okay, you can't do like three more seasons of this. Like at Mm -hmm. some point this has to come to a head. And so I do wonder if, you know, I hope, I hope it's not like what you were saying, Mary Kay, where we we end up thinking, oh, maybe this ended up being a season too long. I do feel like if they can land this plane, we're going to look back and say, all right, four seasons was, they Mm -hmm. nailed it. It was perfect. To your point, Dan, I always come back the line that I keep hearing and reading in interviews of Jesse Armstrong, the show creator, keeps giving is, well, the show is called Succession, so at some point that has to happen. So I do think that is like true, and I think that's a big part of this. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see what I want to know, and I don't know how you're going to handle it, Dan, but what are we going to do when Succession is finishing and the final season of Barry starts on April 16th? Like This is going to be a bummer. I've thought about this. I've <laughs> thought about this. I I love Barry. That's one of my favorite shows. I I actually, if we were doing show power rankings, I would rank Barry ahead of Succession. Um, but I I don't. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a difficult stretch for me. Um, not going to be as sharp on the pods. I'm probably going to be tired. 
uh, a little depressed because I'll be losing these two shows. Uh, but we'll, you know what? I'll just I'll just rewatch Breaking Bad again. It'll be fine. I was just gonna, I was just <laughs> gonna say rewatch Breaking Bad. Now my son, Chris. I keep saying, you got to watch Succession. He was like, when you watch Breaking Bad, I'll watch Succession. <laughs> so we have this thing going on. I always caught snippets of Breaking Bad walking through the room, but I have not ever sat down and watched Breaking Bad. And my husband and my son are like, no, you don't understand. Like, this is like top two or three. Chris is, for Chris, is number one, hands down. So I know I have to do that. And that, that's going to be my, that'll be my next thing. I, I also just randomly speaking of rewatches and we'll, we'll get out of here, but speaking of rewatches, I did randomly at the very beginning of the off season, do a full Friday night lights rewatch. It's just sort of, mm-hmm. that just sort of happens to me sometimes. Like I'll be like, Oh, you know what? I really want to watch the first episode of Friday night lights. Cause it's so good. And, and then, then you're in 70 some episodes later. I'm like, well, <laughs> guess I rewatched the whole series. That's in your yeah. defense, that is a great pilot episode of a TV show, though. It's, it's like incredible. maybe my favorite pilot episode of any TV show. It's fantastic. And then it just gets better from there, except for season two. But we're not going to talk. We, we don't, don't talk, talk about, about that. Two. No. <laughs> uh, all right. There anything else? Anything else on episodes one and two of Succession here that, that we missed? Um, I will say my, my person who just missed the power rankings, which we can have one of those each week if we really want, because I think it could be funny. Hugo, who not only had his embarrassment in the meeting by having Carrie's video playing in front of Logan, but we also find out randomly really hated by Roman for some reason. I would love to know why. <laughs> yeah, that is and, interesting. And Willa could have made, you know, Willa yeah. could, probably could have been in here somewhere too, possibly because she's kind of. She's um, almost in. She's almost the family. In. She's almost in. I I hope I hope this is a wedding episode on Sunday. We need we need a good succession wedding episode, especially a Connor oh, yeah. Connor wedding episode. Maybe there are going to be bum fights. Maybe. And like, I think like, you know, it's Shiv and Tom's wedding. We didn't get to see the actual wedding, which I was always kind of bummed out about. It went from like Shiv getting ready to, oh, here are the pictures. Wedding's done. So I would love to see an actual like ceremony take place next week. I will say this too, because I was, I I was thinking this, like we never actually see like outside, like we never see like the consumers, right? The people Mm -hmm. who watch ATN, like just normal people in this show. And then that very week they go to a bar with normal people and they just absolutely do not do not fit in at all, no. uh, which is not a surprise. Okay, there we go. Our succession portion of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Uh, if you're not a football insider subscriber, you should be one. Cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. That's where we got those Hey Mary K questions from the first part of the pod as well. You can also text us and share your succession thoughts if, if you want to do that. You can also share your thoughts on succession with a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Of course, we'd appreciate that. So subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast as well. For Mary Kay and Ashley, I'm Dan. Thanks for listening, everybody. 